0: Hey, hey, everybody, what's up? It's your boy, MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is the proprietor of Wayfarer Vineyard, Cleo Pallmeyer. Uh Raised in Napa, Cleo is the daughter of legendary vintner Jason Pallmeyer. Uh She would move east to attend the University of Virginia, where she received her BA in art history, and she would go on to earn a master's degree in connoisseurship of fine and decorative art at Sotheby's Institute of Art in London. And in 2008, she returned home to work closely with her father to learn every aspect of the family business. And in 2017, she was appointed president of Meyer. Welcome, Cleo.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: I'm so glad you're here. Um, We're turning a little wine. You brought some wines. Um, Tell everybody what we're we're, we're day drinking on.
1: Yeah. Well, we're getting started um, with our uh, Wayfarer WF2 Chardonnay. So all the wines we make are just from our one vineyard. Um, and, um, you know, we're, we're making, we're trying to make wines at the highest level from our, from our one site. But inevitably, there'll be barrels that just don't quite make the cut, Mm -hmm. um, for the, for the, you know, wayfarer label. And so, um, but so the wines are still delicious, you know, they've been farmed in our by us in our vineyard made by us in our winery and um they're just not just don't have quite what we're looking for for the wayfair label so um, we take them and bottle those barrels under um the second label we just started it in 2019 and um and so that's uh the wf2 so this is the the chardonnay
0: very nice very yeah. nice very nice well we'll get to the next wine i'm sure as we're Conversating, which isn't really a word. Um, um, so let's start at the beginning. Um, I know you were raised. Are you from Napa originally? Were you born in Napa? Where you?
1: born in San Francisco. Okay, and then um, and then when I was a toddler, my parents decided to live in Spain for a year. Oh wow! So actually, I, my first language, because it was right when I was, you know, starting to speak, was Spanish. But then, of course. I've spent the rest of my life in Spanish classes. <laughs> <laughs> lost, lost that, sadly. Um, I just, at one point, my mother told me, cause my mother spoke Spanish and she just said, you just, um, came up to me and just said, stop talking to me that way. <laughs> you just refused c- to continue speaking Spanish. I had just started, you know, school, like, you know, kindergarten back in Napa, cause then we moved back to Napa mm-hmm. when I was about four or okay. five years old and, um, and was, like immediately an outsider because i just i didn't well i spoke spanish not english and so apparently then i just refused to continue speaking it sadly yeah super (laughs) interesting
0: so um why did you why did your parents move this why they want i mean that's freaking amazing but like why move to spain with a young child
1: yeah yeah well so well two young children actually my brother and me um they, uh, just, well, my, my dad loved wine. They loved to travel. Okay. Um, my mother, um, well, she, as I mentioned, she, she speaks Spanish, but she is really into languages. She's, um, had a career as an interpreter and translator. Mm. So she spoke Spanish and French. Um, and, um, and so they just, they're just kind of, you know, young, always been young at heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I just wanted to live in Spain for years So we lived up in, northern spain and the san sebastian region Mm -hmm. uh, which is i mean arguably the best cuisine in all of spain and so yeah and so they so they just um did that for a year my dad his first foray into the wine business was actually importing some spanish wine and so um so that was part of it too um and then they moved back to to california and Uh and back to napa
0: now um was like your Dad from Napa was someone from. He was from Oakland. He was from Oakland. Yeah, so So Bay Area. Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah,
0: and and um, like what is it like being raised in Napa? Because like you said, you're like you you were like an outsider because you're speaking Spanish.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, these days, you. I mean, there's. Plenty of children that enter. Well, school, I was going to say, bilingual.
0: I was, was going to say, like, like you know, you're in the wine classrooms. business. You're in the wine business. Like you, you, that Spanish could come in pretty handy. You know, them anyway. that would
1: have been awesome if those schools were around yeah. then, because then I could have the uh, dual
0: immersion know, schools. You know,
1: yeah. to, so what a, what a blessing to be raised bilingual. Yeah. But, oh well. Um <laughs> uh, You know, so being raised in Nap, I think I think it's like a lot of kids is that you you're just kind of jaded, right? If you grew up there and you just or at least well i guess i'll just speak for myself um you know i just don't really appreciate what you have and you know napa was not what it is now um you know um a few decades ago um you know there were far less traffic lights it was just sort of like a podunk little town um i mean maybe not podunk but you know the downtown area would flood every few years and so you know businesses struggled um they since did a, you know, big project down there. So now we don't have that issue anymore. But, um, and, you know, and so, you know, grew up, my dad um, would, well, it, was, it was always kind of like a family joke, but also not, a, not really a joke because my dad, whenever we would like drive to go camping or something like that, every time we would see a tasting room, which back then there were far fewer tasting rooms right. and they were just little, like people would put their sign out on the street or along the highway, and you pull over and walk in. And, um, and so whenever my dad saw like a tasting room sign, like some between where like, our, you know, wherever we started and where our destination, he'd like pull over and be like, Oh, like let's make a pit stop here. And we'd be like, No, dad, not another tasting. And, you know, because we just be in there, uh, just sort of lolling about there were no ipads like we just had to entertain ourselves (laughs) while
0: dad like did the yeah yeah,
1: did the tasting and then we you know went on our continued on our merry way but yeah i mean like for yeah going going to work with dad was um either to be really quiet in the house or in the car while he was on phone calls (laughs) (laughs) which of course he like always had to take like right in the living room and he'd be like shh i'm on the phone (laughs) um or you know um in, in wine cellars um, when he's is, was in wine cellars meeting with winemakers or um, out in the vineyards when he'd be you know pulling berry samples and things like that. So um in retrospect I's pretty charmed. Um but you know I never thought that I would follow in his footsteps. I always thought I would live in New York or DC and um, and not move b- and not be back in California. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: So you you said your your dad's first foray into the wine business Um, was importing some wines from Spain. Um, I was curious, what was, what did he do? Like you said, your mother was a translator. Mm -hmm. What did your dad do that you guys could even go live in Spain for you? Like, like.
1: Well, he was a lawyer, but, um, well, he, he has, his, um, his father probably gave him a little bit too much money than he should have. (laughs) (laughs) My dad did not bring me up like that. (laughs) Um, but, um, you know, he had some, so, he had so, some so, so, money so, so he had he some,
0: family. so he was a lawyer. Was your grandfather also a lawyer? Was he, was it?
1: My grandfather was, um, no, no, he started out in Wisconsin. Okay. Um, I don't know what generation immigrated, but, um, uh, they had settled in Wisconsin. And so, but my grandfather was decided, you know, married my grandmother and then, Moved out to Oakland area. Okay. Um, and he started um as a tire salesman, and um and at that time you would sell tires at gas stations to gas stations, and so then he started um buying. They
0: were called service stations when service. You're, when, when, that's when you're right. Hence so, the tires. Yeah. There
1: you go. Um, and when they used to pump gas, yeah, for yeah, they used to pump
0: gas for you. That was the best. <laughs> Clean your windows.
1: It was the best. Yeah. I, Air was for free. Fill your tires. One of my <laughs> things I like most in life is putting gas in the car. It's just, it's just I find it very tiresome. But anyways, um
0: Move the, to New Jersey.
1: You can't pump your own gas. Yeah. Or <laughs> Oregon, right? Or get an electric car. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and so anyways, my my grandfather um started then um investing in um these gas station properties. And so he would buy the land, lease it to um, you know, like Exxon or Chevron. Yeah. And then um and so the, these little you know, inexpensive corners ended up becoming major mm-hmm. highway intersections and valuable properties. And so, so that's what my, that's what my grandfather, um, that's what he did. And, uh, yeah, really self-made man.
0: Yeah. I love that. Where did, where, where did his family and where did your family emigrate from?
1: Um, well that part of my family from like Germany, but, my mother always said like Wales, but basically I'm just sort of everything Northern Europe. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. I mean, it's. I mean, yeah, Europe's great, but uh, nothing, nothing super exciting there.
0: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm, I just I love the stories of people like of immigrants that come and and like you know who's selling tires and like and he's like wait.
1: Yeah, well, he had a, he had a dream. He was like, I, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna go to California. Yeah, like he just wanted to. And I think that's really cool. And then literally came came to California with nothing, and um and did that. So I think that's really yeah no
0: that's that's supersonic. So amazing. And, 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 and I don't so. and I
1: didn't mean to like you know speak down about what my dad did, but he had money and no and listen. Then, and so he and my mom were like, let's go to Europe. So and like I said, when you asked me if I if I um win the <laughs> lottery, <I'm yeah>. gonna, <laughs> yeah. I said I'm going to go to Europe for a year. So yeah. my yeah my husband and I have a similar uh, dream. Yeah. yeah
0: no, it's totally cool, and I, I think I you know it uh, these parts of the story like it's the wine business so like you know obviously you're in it you know the expression how do you make a small fortune wine business start with a large yeah. one right like so so I, I always like to be i i, I i'm someone who believes and i love wine and it's an amazing beverage and i love the business i love the people in it but mm-hmm. people need to understand like um when people say, why aren't there more of this? I'm like, because it takes money. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, he,
1: well, when my dad was starting Paul Meyer, he, it's, he didn't, he started with a small fortune, you know, and created something really, you know, it, right. he didn't start with a, like that, like that yeah. famous joke. Yeah. Um, but, but I think, but I think that a big reason for that is because of his timing. You know, in the 80s, it was a completely different valley, completely yep. different place, yep. and a completely different landscape for the industry yep. then than it is today. Yep. And, in and, you know, you could, and that's true across in you know, across industries, um, you know, and so it makes it a lot more difficult for people to enter the market or compete smaller people to compete sure. in the market. But, um, but yeah, you know, his, his timing was, was good.
0: Yeah. And, and, and timing is so important. And also just that, that like, there's nothing wrong with your grandfather, Given his son some money because he worked hard for it, right? So I always tell people like, let's, let's like people judge, we, we're all judging each other no matter where we're on the stratum. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. um, but I think that's cool. And, you know, I went to law school. That's what you do. If you really don't want to do anything, you could look impressive because you say, yeah. your I just think
1: it's funny because then my dad ended up raising me and my brothers different a little differently, yeah. but, <laughs> but I think it's for the best. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. So. Let's speak about that, so you you're back in Napa, you're in kindergarten. don't talk Spanish to me um <laughs> and did, was your dad immediately was was he did he start in the wine business when he came back to napa
1: yeah, yeah, so so he well he practices as an attorney for okay. you know, for many years and before my parents were in um went to Spain, they were living in d c before they had children, and my mm-hmm. dad was practicing law, my mother was working as an interpreter and translator, and so so they started their careers and then had kids late so so they were doing other things um and um uh so so when my dad got started in the wine industry he he had met um some people through tasting groups so when he was in law school he started um you know tasting wine obsessively and started his own tasting group where did he go
0: to law school i just look because i was was
1: Golden Gate University, I believe. Oh,
0: just, just yeah, Abacala, nice. Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, and um, and uh, and I think he got like a master's or something at Georgetown. I'm, I'm trying to remember. His, but.
0: Yeah, probably got his LLM. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, okay.
1: um, anyways, and so um, and so he partnered up, um, and um, his first. Venture in Napa Valley was to plant a vineyard in Coombsville. Okay. Um, and so, um, he did that with his partner who, um, smuggled in, uh, the vine cuttings from, um, from Bordeaux. Um, and so, yeah.
0: Wait, wait, i love that <laughs> it's before tsa pre-check and all of this stuff oh yeah people just shoving yeah. vine cuttings down their pants but, yeah there you go um where are they purported to be from i'm just curious
1: um they well, they they got them from nurseries oh okay in, um, oh,
0: so, okay. so, in, so they,
1: in bordeaux all right so mm-hmm. they didn't
0: yeah they didn't, no
1: it wasn't like they weren't clipping um you they, know vines they,
0: they didn't do with the drc thing that some yeah well i think yeah i
1: think well that's way more common in burgundy yeah. but in bordeaux i guess they they were just um you know they my dad knew or he Knew from all the research he had done, the wines he had tasted that to make really great wine, you weren't go- you weren't going to get it from the colonial selections that they had available. It's your you know UC Davis nursery, and yeah. so that's what they wanted. Okay, the super clones,
0: yeah. cool. Okay, so what what like what what years and Coombsville? That's like he must have been a pioneer in there because that's now just becoming a known region. If you're reading the you know the, certainly the, yeah.
1: yeah, so it was um so it was um. Uh, Caldwell Vineyard. So in, in Coombsville. And so my dad's partner was John Caldwell, who smuggled the, uh, the vine cuttings. And, um, and so, and so it's, it's a pretty large vineyard, um, all like pretty steep hillside. Um, and yeah, there, and to that, at that point, I believe there was really only Chardonnay planted there. Nobody thought that you could plant good Cabernet, um, in, in that, in that area. They thought it was too cold. But, Mm. um, of course, um you know they were that's now proven wrong uh because there's some fabulous cabernet um vineyards and of course you know the what what my dad was doing with those with the with that fruit back in the 80s um of course you know global warming has also helped yeah <laughs> i know i know i, said, I know it's, thanks yeah. i told
0: people like oh my god they're making so much better wine in new york state i'm like global warming yeah why is riesling dry global warming mm. i mean the wines are amazing coming out of places like the rieslings are the, the 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 truck and they're so dry, right? But yeah. like, why are they dry? Um, yeah. So we have to. Uh, um. So it's the '80s. Your dad's got really good timing. Um, and um, always was Palmyre. Was that was that was always the name? Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So well, so he his dream was to make his own Mouton. and so um he fell in love with Bordeaux wines, and so um yeah, so he started Palmyre. Um, first vintage was '86. Randy Dunn was our was the first winemaker.
0: Randy Dunn, and then Randy um, at Dunn. Yeah, and then and then
1: Helen Turley. um, After him, and then that's Helen. With Helen Turley is where um, my dad's venture into Pinot Noir started. We're
0: gonna get there. We're gonna get to Helen. Yeah. But before we go there, so like, um, and it was primarily Bordeaux stuff, right? I mean, when Randy made it, was, was he making Cab? Was there any? Blends in there was it was it was it blended or was it one hundred percent Cabernet Sauvignon?
1: Yeah, so it was always um a Bordeaux blend. Okay. So um and that was and that was ha- driven also by you know hi- him wanting to make like his own Mouton, so, so a Bordeaux Bordeaux, mm-hmm. a Bordeaux style blend. Um and so it's it's Paul Meyer has always been um you know Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc, Petit Verdot, and Malbec. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And when when did they um when did he start getting the the big scores was that Doran Helen's it
1: was right off the bat, right off the bat, yeah, okay. yeah, so it was kind of he was um you know kind of off to the races yeah. with with the first vintage um you know Robert Parker mm-hmm. was a huge um you know becoming very influential mm-hmm. was very influential at that point and um you know and and Paul Meyer was really one of those brands that that caught that wave,
0: yeah, yeah, and so um how old are you when this is, like, kind of going on?
1: Um, Like, uh, early 80s. Early 80s. Uh, you know, mid-80s. Yeah. I was um, just, I don't know, five years old. Oh,
0: you're, yeah, you're, you're a baby. So, as you're getting older and you're going to school in Napa, and, like, what's the deal? Is like, is there, like, there must be, like... Like what like what's the school system like in Napa, right? Like
1: I mean, it's gotta it's, be different. It's not I mean, it's not that that, you know, I mean obviously well it's different from going to school like somewhere here in New York, yeah. but it's it's just it's okay. pretty regular. So community. you were you were but yeah. you were
0: probably in school with a bunch of people whose families made wine or owned vineyards. I mean,
1: not or a, necessarily. A no? no, not really. I mean, yes, like there were definitely some people, but um I went to I went to public school okay. and um and, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, my dad loved to, um, my dad's always been really flashy, uh, <laughs> like big personality. And he, um, and he really, he co- collected, um, old Cadillacs, like oh, 59. Nice. And he had one in particular. It was a pink Cadillac convertible with like big fins, like the, cause over the, the different years the cars were made. Um, the fins were smaller, or bigger, but this is like the big fins. These like f- like flame shaped like tail lights, <laughs> and I was always so embarrassed when my dad would pick me up at school in this like flashy. I mean, it's, it's a you know an old Cadillac. It's not like it was some you know like really like modern sports car something like that. But <laughs> was, anyways, yeah, I, I didn't like to stand out in that way. Oh, was your
0: father a pimp? Right? Yeah, <laughs> like like right. a little bit of pink Cadillac? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: It's pretty funny,
0: um so um you get out of high school and you're like, I'm out of here,
1: mm-hmm. well, actually, I asked my um dad if I could go to boarding school okay i I don't know, I was a very precocious twelve year old I mean <laughs> so starting uh like so it was kind of very much like a college process yeah. um to to apply for a boarding school, but then ended up. Uh, age thirteen, going to boarding school in um in Delaware. Oh, um, okay. And it was a it was a great experience. Yeah, I really love that. So I was kind of like, I'm out starting. Oh, absolutely. Wow, yeah. Because like, I, I, like, like,
0: cause I <laughs> we're gonna get into it, but like literally, that's amazing. You said, can I go to boarding school? Because I think, um, if you can do it, it's incredible. Because you, it's your college experience. You 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 grow up. You were away from home, yeah. at thirteen.
1: Yeah, and it was a great school. I mean, it was, and it wasn't like this snobby elite yeah, place. wasn't like Short like Rosemary Hall. it was, yeah. like like that, it was a St. Andrew's school. Yeah. Um, and I can't speak to. I mean, it was a gorgeous campus. It was where Dead Poet Society was filmed, the okay. movie with Robin Williams. Nice. I mean, it was very nice. But the the culture of the school, at least when I went there, was like if you like talked about money or where you summer or who your family is or whatever. That was looked down upon. That was hundred percent looked down upon. And, um, the school has a, you know, huge endowment gives out a ton of financial aid. And so my experience, even, you know, I went to boarding school. I I didn't go to school with a bunch of, you know, like billionaires kids. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So it was, um, it was great. I loved it.
0: Nice. Nice. So, um, then from there, you went to the University of Virginia.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Um, were, were mom and dad disappointed at first that you weren't coming home? Or are they, are they, they? at that point, they knew she was doing
1: like, My dad definitely wanted me to go to school in California um, and, and made me apply to California schools. I don't think I – I think I kind of fudged up my applications <laughs> a little bit. I, I definitely did not put – the same effort into those right. as I did some of the others, but <laughs> um, but my yeah, my mom had already been living on the East Coast for um, a few years, so okay. she was thrilled. Um, and uh, yeah, so I went uh, went to UVA and kind of, but kind of got there and didn't. it was sort of like you know, I just applied to like any other school, but I didn't know all the things about it, like all the lingo and like what our school mascot was or like <laughs> like what our football record was or basketball season last year. Like I didn't know any of this. I was just like, here I am to go to school. And so, um, but it, that was also a really great experience. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, it's an amazing, uh, university. Yeah. One of the greatest in the country. Um, was it art history?
1: Yeah. Just, um, well, my dad s- said, you know, you really should apply for the business school undergraduate program and my mother said you should just follow do what you are passionate about and so i obviously followed my mother's advice and um and decided to, after taking an art history 101 class you know it um schools uh, you know great schools that like a lot of the classes that like the 101 classes that you take have some of the best professors in the school um and you know there's hundreds of kids in the class but um but the so anyways I took one of those 101 classes and um uh just fell fell in love with it so so I started um so yeah so I got an art history degree
0: what is what 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 is what is what does that look like because i I see that um like like literally like after the 101 what's like art history 201 like what
1: <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's lots of different periods of art, but um, you know, and, and so you study so, you know, you have to study from ancient art, you know, through more more modern um decades, but I mean, it's it's essentially, you know, just the study of history through okay. the art, um the study of history and cultures through the art that it's produced and, you know, in mm. society and and how the art reflects the society and things like that so
0: mm-hmm. um, and like typically like you have a ba in art history what is what do people usually do we'll get to your grad school but what do people do, do you go work at a museum like what do you like, yeah i mean what, what like yeah what like
1: well I, we I, got you know i got to the my last year of college and my friends some of my friends are starting to go to job fairs and things like that and i just and i was like Kind of caught a little off guard. <laughs> I was like, "Oh shit, <laughs> what am I going to do next?" And so, um, and so, well, I thought, well, it would be great to, you know, b- go abroad for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so, I found a program that uh, some another friend of mine had done um, that, that gr- graduated from UVA before me um, in London. And so, so that program was to study. Um, it's basically taught you how to look at a piece of art or an object, um, or furniture that, um, that is unknown and then to, and then skills to determine what it is and like who the art, who the, uh, artist might be or the, the maker, what, um, you know, year it's from so on and so forth. Sounds
0: like blind wine tasting. Yeah, there you go.
1: <laughs> exactly. And so, um and so, and then I, at the same time, I also worked in, worked in an auction house. Um, so, okay. so that's, um you know, but I kind of quickly learned that to be, to stay in the art world in was, was much more of an academic pursuit than mm-hmm. a business one. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, going back to when my dad was encouraging me to, Take the undergraduate business degree. I guess I had always, I'd always envisioned myself, um, in the business world doing something with business Mm -hmm. is not so much academics. And then also you kind of look, you kind of a good way to determine like what your, um, career is going to look like is when you if you you know interning somewhere your entry-level position somewhere look around like who is there and how long have they been there mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. and in the art world certainly there's a whole lot of underpaid highly educated people uh-huh. that are like you the know, wine world <laughs> yeah there you go. That are waiting for, parallels. you know, that, like, person who's held that position for decades oh to move on. Yeah. So that then there can be that one opening. And so I just didn't see, um, I didn't see myself in that world anymore or that, or that future for, for my career. Yeah. And so, um, so then, so I, uh, I decided to, you know, kind of veer off into a different direction when I, and I moved back to, um, San Francisco.
0: All right. Before San Francisco. Yeah. London. So. Mm-hmm. I get master's degree, connoisseurship of fine and decorative art. What, when we're talking about that, like, is this, that sounds to me, I don't know, like, you're curating stuff. I don't know. Like, what, what, what is like the concert? Cause that's a fascinating degree. Um,
1: so, well, I think you just made the perfect analogy. It's like blind tasting mm-hmm. in wine. Um, and actually, I've never thought of it that for, before, but it's, it's perfect. I mean, gonna steal that now. yeah you're welcome yeah um, Every,
0: all my guests leave a free one You're welcome. yeah
1: it's so you know it's basically you are an expert in a particular mm-hmm, field mm-hmm. of art and so you know you and so you can assess not um not just like what this art art object is but also the quality um and um and you know and 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 the, you know, advise clients or identify objects mm-hmm. or price them for auctions, um, you know, work in a museum, th- mm-hmm. things like that.
0: What was it like living in London? London is, um, you know, I haven't been to London, but I understand it's like it's a pretty dope city.
1: It is cool. It is cool. It's definitely a city where there's – I mean, it was expensive yeah. to live there. Yeah. And so, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's like to like to really – uh, enjoy you definitely have to you know have be be able to spend some money and that wasn't necessarily the budget that I was on yeah. but um <laughs> but um you know i I very much um enjoy living there. I mean I just love a city I just love the energy of it I love coming to new York mm-hmm. um and so in in london is is very much the same very yeah nice,
0: very nice um you know what? I think London is a, is a good place to take a break. Um, because we're going to talk about you coming back to San Francisco. So we'll be right back, everybody with more Cleo. Okay. Cleo. Awesome. You, you're, you, you, you've, you, you loved London town, but uh, you know, it's like, it's like, I tell people, I'm like, yeah, why don't you live in New York? I was like, cause I can't live in New York. Like if I'm in New York, I want to live in New York, right? Like, my house would cost like 1.5 million dollars in New York and be half the size. Yep. <laughs> so yep. so <laughs> that's why I don't live in New York. But if I could live in New York, shit, come on, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um. So um. Did you actually work at Sotheby's? It was school. Did you have like a position there in the auction house, or did so, it kind of set so, you up with so something the like So the school
1: that? was um affiliated with Sotheby's. Okay. But um, I worked at Bonhams Auctioneers. Okay. Well i was there so yeah. um yeah and so i was just um wor- working working the auctions so just you know no intern t- stuff t- tell
0: people like what's that what's like because i've done some wine auction stuff but like art auctions have to be in london have to be ludicrous
1: i mean it, like, it's, the, like
0: the wealth that comes to buy art at a freaking auction
1: must yeah be- i mean they don't have major auctions Every day right. of the week. But, you know, on, you know, a weekly basis, there'd be, you know, be auctions for all sorts of various things. And, you know, just to like, just to be around these things, you know, with just paintings stacked against the wall and, you know, cataloging everything. And, um, and then, and then the, you know, the excitement of running the auction. Um, it, you know, it, it's cool. It, it's a, it's a fun, um, uh, it's a really cool thing to be around.
0: Nice. So you came back to San Francisco. What what did you do when you landed in San Francisco?
1: Um. So I, you know, floundered for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. And then um, eventually um, landed a, a position at Williams Sonoma Corporate. Oh, okay. Which was really great. You know, around the time that I was, when I was in London, I had started to think about eventually joining um my dad in the Mm -hmm. family business um but he thought and i thought and i agreed that it was would be important for me to continue to have some other experience um before you know jumping into the family business so um so for a few years i worked um for william sonoma corporate and um it was a it was a great it was a great uh experience you know got to experience being part of a really large company mm-hmm. like that and all of the, um, you know, the bureaucracy and the, you know, the, the way the organization is run and the structure. And so, um, so it was, a, it was a good experience. Um, and, uh, around 2000, or in 2008 was, um, was when, um, I started, I actually got an email from my stepmother. And she was asking if I had any friends that were looking for an entry level position wanting to get into the wine business. <laughs> and um and I was at that point I was like, well, you know, like maybe this is this is the my opportunity. So um so I applied for the job. <laughs> and uh and then started um and then started working um with my dad uh later that year. So,
0: so- um entry level, so kind of walk us through that like when did you start did you did like did you first of all let me back up did you ever do any harvest stuff when when you were growing up, or
1: no, never harvest okay. stuff um well, there might have been like a brief stint, you know counting. Irrigation lines in the vineyard, um, and washing barrels at the winery. Um, but, um, you know, but I was answering the phones, um, doing, you know, administrative things, um, entering orders, um, you know, work, um, reconciling inventory, things like that. Okay. Yeah. So
0: you come on board and what did your entry level position like? Did you like, uh, like what month was that? Did you come in in time to do a harvest or did you have to wait like nine months? Like what was...
1: Um- no, I, I came in, um, just on, on like the sale, on the sales side. I was, okay. a, I was a sales assistant, okay. um, to, or assistant to the national sales manager. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I didn't, um, so I did not work, work okay. harvest, but now in retrospect, I'm, I'm always like, we get around to another harvest and I'm like, I, I'm going to be the harvest intern this year. Like, I'm just going to do it. But I'm no, always, you're not. <laughs> but I'm always so, well, I've got my, Ob- obligations with my children. That's what I'm of course, saying at this point. Like, you know, so I'm like, I missed my, my window. I should have been a harvest intern then, but you know, I had, I had work to do at the, on the, at the office. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> they were just going to let me f- frolic in the winery for a few months, but.
0: So what was, what was, what was that like coming home? Uh, because you, you mentioned coming home could be hard.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, like, but what was it like? Now you're back in Napa and you're working in your family business.
1: Yeah. So um, it was – I mean, it, because I didn't go to high school in Napa, it was – it wasn't – like, I didn't know anybody so there that, anymore.
0: That makes – that, that so sense. That was
1: key. Yeah. I, I mean, not that, like, <laughs> I didn't want to know people, but um, – you know, it, you, you don't just kind of feel like you're falling into like the same old No, thing. that's, I agree.
0: Cause I was like, why don't I like live where I live? Cause I live in the same town. the same, but like literally, I'm like, I, it's so much nicer when you don't really know people from high school. Yeah. It's just a reminder. But anyway, yeah. I, I, I was like, oh, that makes that, you didn't go to high school there. So yeah. you don't feel like, oh, you know, like, you don't feel like I dated the football player and, and, you know, like yeah. that whole scenario. Of, yeah. Wow. No,
1: so none of that. And, and actually, um, my now husband, we had been, you know, dating re- remotely to that point, and he, his he, he started yeah, his remotely.
0: First- you're still so, you're still in pandemic mode. It yeah, was, yeah. Well, it was, it was long distance. Long <laughs>
1: distance. There you go. Remote remotely. dating. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you guys were on Zoom. <laughs> like, well, dude. actually,
1: back then it was Skype. Um, I know, I remember, remember that. Boom, yeah. boom, boom, boom.
0: I remember and, the song. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. Anyway, so um. And so he had never lived in Napa. Um. And so we with with the exception of like one person that we knew Mm -hmm. before, but he only because our dads were friends. Um, We didn't even know him that well. Um, We all of our friends that we have now we made since we we moved there in 2008. So, um, yeah, so it's I mean, we we built a a nice, really great community of people.
0: Um, Your husband's name is Jamie. Where is he from?
1: Uh, He is from Whidbey Island, Washington. Oh, in the Puget Sound. Yeah.
0: So he's from a little island. up. Yeah. Yeah so that talk about that's remote too huh yeah yeah
1: (laughs) it's a tiny it's a definitely a tiny little community yeah yeah
0: how'd you guys meet
1: um well so that's um a fun story my um so his uh family or his mother's from portland and so um and and his grandfather had um had a beach house on the oregon coast. you know like about 2 hours south of portland and um and then my aunt and uncle bought a house there um in the 90s uh and so d- down the street from my husband's um family's home and so um i would go there in the summers with my mom spend a couple weeks go to theater camp <laughs> with my nice. with my cousin um, and um and so our families have just known each other for decades and we and we would see each other in the summers or over the holidays when we were there um so, you know, through high school and college we never saw each other because we weren't going and doing the family vacation thing. Um but right after I graduated from college actually, we went there for the holidays and so my husband and I met after you know, we hadn't seen each other maybe ten years, so kind of met as adults if you consider, you know, twenty one and twenty-two year old adults. <laughs> and um and so And then have been together since then. He was
0: like, oh, Cleo. You're like, oh, Jamie.
1: (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty much. (laughs) um, But but that was when I was living in London and he was going to law school in Sacramento. And so Skype, um, you know, texting was free. So that was good. And and yes, stayed in touch, obviously, and then until I moved back to San Francisco.
0: Nice. So, um, what was it like so you said you're an assistant to the national sales director mm-hmm. um what's it like working in a family business like like what would your dad like s- say things to you you know coach you chide you I don't know like what's it, like what's it like
1: there was some weird stuff to navigate for sure um i mean it's not it's it's not easy um you know, um, well, you know, like, first of all, like, one of the first things is um, my boss was like, well, because I would refer to my dad as dad. Yeah. Because, you know, I was, you know, I like, that's, that's how my, I had always referred to him.
0: Uh, you know, ever since I've been born.
1: Yeah. If he was dad. like, you know, we really should. You really shouldn't. You really should call him Jason. Um, it's like, okay, yeah, okay, got it. And now I like, I can't stop calling him Jason. <laughs> well, that's not true. I, I could call him dead too. But, um, so that, yeah, that was one little thing. You know, I think people definitely feel threatened and get their elbows out. And there can be some, you know, some nastiness that happens and that happened, you know, over the years. But mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all in all, um, worked with really great people. Um, and, um, you know, there's definitely that, that level of like not wanting to let your, you know, your dad down. Um, and, you know, and, and having, and then also having that like extra, um, you know, just, yeah, not, not wanting to screw up. But then if you do screw up, you also hear it from him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, not just your boss or, you right. know, um, so there's that, So there's that too. But, you know, I was really fortunate to be able to, you know, like I mentioned before, I didn't, you know, do the business school route in yep. undergraduate, yep. but uh worked with a lot of really incredible people. And, um, you know, everything I know about the wine industry, I just I learned on the job, Nice. Um, you know, working with my dad. But, you know, lots of different, um, you know, other people that have either been employees or consultants of the business over the years, um, some really instrumental people. Um, yeah. yeah.
0: So let's let's go back because you mentioned. um <clears throat> Randy Dunn was the first winemaker and then Helen Turley took over at, at uh, Paul Meyer. Yeah. Um, how much interaction did you, did you ever have with uh, Helen?
1: Um, I mean, I was,
0: you were younger. You, yeah. I was,
1: you know, like eight years old, yeah. 10 years old. Um, so, um, so yeah. So, you know, I, I told, I remember her. I remember, you know, doing things with her and you know going to lunch or dinner or seeing her at the winery and things like that um, but no not I mean did not really interact with her on a meaningful level or anything super memorable
0: <laughs> but I would ask you this as we look at the industry and it's changing and push for more inclusivity like you're actually a, a, a woman in this business who saw a powerful woman in the business as mm-hmm. you know, do you, I mean do you in retrospect do you do you kind of what do you think about it now? Like, cause you look back, like I asked you that question, like mm-hmm. advice for yourself. Like if you look at that now, what, what, mm-hmm. how do you, how, how, how do you see that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, at the time I definitely did not recognize, right. see that for, for what it is, you know, as an innocent young, yeah. <laughs> not wise to the, <laughs> the ways of the world. But, you know, I looking back um, and, you know, knowing the experiences, you know, of, of, Women that, that, that have to work that much harder just to be able to get the job. I mean, at the time, I mean, when Helen, and, and I've, um, heard other women speak about this, like Kathy Coruscant, yeah. um, you know, there, they would not give seller positions to women, period. Um, you know, and then, uh, Kathy, the one, at one point, it was, uh, she said she had a seller job, but then they would sabotage her, like, so they would, like, tighten, like, the, the, um, the hatch of a, of a tank so hard she couldn't open it and things like that. So, you know, just to not the
0: torque. wrench. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: you know, it's uh, people don't like change and, um, you know, and it's and it's threatening when um, when I guess there is change for certain people. And so um, I don't know. I think it's uh, it, it's definitely sad that that it's that's still kind of a it's still an issue and they still don't have representation um, or at the same level as, you know, men in the industry, but, um, uh, you know, it's getting better with every, with everything. Mm -hmm. And I think just setting up systems to give the same, to give same, you know, opportunities to work up and not just that, but just the same networking opportunities. And like, you know, how do you, how do you like know people in the industry and, um, you know like are you including women in your tasting groups things like things like that um and you know that's like that's where a lot of people get started it's just in like a tasting group mm-hmm. um and um and so and so making it <laughs> like I remember my husband would always go to these tasting groups it's like always all men so it's like big boys' night out and I went to a tasting group uh with all women I was like oh I'm so excited <laughs> and it ended up just being like just like a girl's night like people are drinking like Cheap wine. Yeah, it ended, being no, like, like, it ended up being I'm like it ended up being like rose all day, tasting. right? right, right. <laughs> like, like we, you know. Anyways, I so got you. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think I think that there's still, um you know, a lot of barriers I- in that way. um You know, not just for women, but also people of color in the industry. um But um getting better.
0: yeah you know? I mean, because then you also, I mean, like, I, look, I'm looking back at your life and I'm not living your life. But then we're going to start talking about Wayfair here. Um, I mean, you're around some badass women, Martine. So how did Wayfair kind of come to be? I know it was it was kind of female driven. So your dad was telling people about Martine and then like Helen was instrumental in finding this property, correct? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, well, yeah, my dad's first idea, he he wanted to get into Pinot Noir. And so his first idea was to go to Burgundy, buy vineyards there, and then have Helen, an American female winemaker, make the wines in, um, in Burgundy. So, um, which was, which is sad, but was incredibly radical at the time. I'm right? like, when I
0: read that, I was like, <laughs> yo, that would have been sick.
1: Right? Yeah. To yeah. have
0: her making, the way she makes wines, are really flavorful if you never had, you know, mm-hmm. and, and if you've had a Turley's Infidel, she only made that for one vintage. So <laughs> you probably never had a hurl and Turley yeah, wine, yeah, right? Yeah, but exactly. if you had a Helen Turley wine, um, you know, she's a very super talented winemaker. And so this is like the nineties, right?
1: Yeah, So it's like, this is the like 90s. an American
0: going over, buying land in Burgundy, and then it's going to bring an American winemaker over mm-hmm. to make Pinot Noir Chardonnay mind blown.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So so any uh, you know my dad has was the owner of two properties in Burgundy two grand cru parcels for a very brief period of time mm. the French uh the local people appealed to an obscure real estate law that gave them first right of refusal on the transaction and my dad got pushed out. And so um you know at that point the exchange rate you know going from dollars to to Frank's was very favorable, but going the other way around, he lost his his shirt on the money being sent back, wired back, um, and um, but you know decided to to you know to keep tr- to keep going, and so Helen had um uh, recently at that time you know she's she became very famous for as being a cult Cabernet winemaker, yep. but is probably now more famous for her own mm-hmm. uh, little Pinot Noir. Chardonnay label Marcusan. And so she had recently uh planted her vineyard um in this region. And um and uh not too far from Marcusan was a property called Wayfair Farm. Um it was owned just by this hippie couple that had moved out um to this region as part of the back to the land movement, and they were growing fruits and vegetables and they were running a small school. And, um, was, it, was it a war off school? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very, I mean, very, not not unlike, I'm sure, but I don't think it was like any sort of official thing. Right. But, but
0: they, were, um, they were following the def- principles oh, of yeah, Rudolf Steiner. Were,
1: <laughs> they were raising, uh, you know, animals and farming and things like that. So, um, uh, and so, anyways, the property they had put it on the market, um, and um, and so she brought my dad out there. And um my dad just fell in love with the with the place and um ended up buying the the parcel and uh planting the vineyard, uh finished planting it in two thousand two.
0: And so just so you guys know, like like these guys uh I think they were the Davises. Yeah. 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 Um like we're talking organic bottom, they were selling their their, their their produce to Chez Panisse. Like yeah. so this is like
1: like the first farm to table, yeah, restaurant. which is yeah. the
0: first farm to table restaurant in America for sure, um, and but it also speaks to when you Talk about terroir, like that. That that's where that they were buying produce from. That
1: yeah lot. yeah,
0: and so that's up near uh, Marcusin, right?
1: Yeah, so it's in. Well, now the region is known as um, Fort Ross Seaview AVA, which was approved. Just in 2012. Mm. And then this, just this year, the West Sonoma Coast AVA was approved. So Fort Ross Seaview region is entirely within the new West Sonoma Coast region. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a little, it can be a little confusing, but, um, um, yeah, but basically it just, it just means that it's truly coastal. Um, cause the Sonoma Coast AVA. Got, as far it's, inland it's
0: gotten watered down
1: oh totally. I mean it was watered down from the very beginning mm. right you know it was approved was it back in the 80s maybe and um, and it goes as far inland as you know the Sonoma part of carneros um Ooh. and you know most of it is coastal at all and so um and so the West Sonoma coast is carved out of truly coastal, uh, influence sites with truly coastal influence and then fort ross seaview in particular um is pretty far north on the on the coast um if you just if from healdsburg if you just go straight west as the crow flies that would be kind of, you that would be where Wayfair is um but we're just four miles from the pacific um so it's really close to the ocean but then um high elevation so above the fog line we're situated at 1200 feet. Um, but just to be in the Fort Ross sea View AVA, you have to be above 920 feet. Um, and so it's, it's really dramatic, um, and beautiful region because, so all the vineyards have to be at these high elevations. So they're all planted along the ridge lines and then surrounded by redwood forests, um, you know, with views of the, of the Pacific in the distance. So it's a, it's a really, um, beautiful wine growing region.
0: And, <clears throat> there actually is a fort up there because <laughs> I went in a helicopter and I was like, holy! And literally, we were flying over it and I was like, is that a fort? And the pilot's like, I, he's and see, he's like, fort. I like Fort Ross. He'd be like, holy shit, that yeah. there's an actual fort there. Yeah, because it's on like a cliff or a bluff, and you would have a fort so you could see ships coming yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. Um, how? That seems very close to the Pacific Ocean. It's gotta be one of the closest. Like four miles, that's very close. Yeah. Um is that I mean, how that's a very like that's one of the closest to the Pacific. It's gotta be, right?
1: I mean, I that's actually a good question. Um uh, but I would I, I would imagine yeah. so. I,
0: I think that's pretty damn close. Yeah.
1: And some vineyards in this region are just uh, like two miles or less than two miles okay. from the from the coast. So we're a little bit further inland.
0: And I wanna say wasn't Joseph Phelps like a pioneer out there with the Freestone? Like, there's some couple um, people.
1: Yeah, so Joseph Phelps, um, had their, has their Freestone, yep. um, uh, brand. Um, but Pioneers would be, um, well, Helen Turley, but, um, before that, David Hirsch was out there, uh, fl- the Flowers. Okay. Flowers, uh, or, yeah. or Walt and yep. Joan Flowers, yep. um, which is now, um, owned by, um, Huneus uh, yeah. Um and then well, Peter Michael planted Vineyard out there around the same time we did, um, and yeah, so um, so but but it's a and, and
0: Steve Kissler's out there now too, right? Ox yes, Occidental, I, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, just a little further south. So
1: all part of the West Sonoma Coast, but yeah, they're in Occidental area. Yeah,
0: so like you, I mean, I feel bad. Like I mean. Marcus Sanis it's like almost unattainable but it's I've been fortunate to have it and it is it's like a whole and these wines like the reason why this is such a, these are wines are a whole nother level of Chardonnay and Pinot Noir just 100% you know um, so like. Have you talked to your dad about this? Like, cuz he you know he was going to make a Mouton and then all of a sudden he fell in love with burgundy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well he I mean he always says I mean so he started out in wine you know like loving the big um Australian Shiraz and then you know the wines of Bordeaux um but he he always says that every enophile eventually gravitates to the wines of burgundy cuz I mean they're just so versatile they're so they have so much life and energy and just um and they're just so interesting. Um, and enjoy, enjoyable to drink. And so, um, I've there, I've certainly found that true for myself as well. Um, and, um, yeah. And, and so, so when we, um, so he planted the, the vineyard and then, um, but then we weren't, he, we were bottling the, the fruit under the Palmyre label. Okay. For, for a few years, mm-hmm. blending it with, um, with some other vineyards from Russian River Valley. Um, you know, but, But with, but with Chardonnays and Pinot Noirs in particular, um, you know, they're, the great Chardonnays and Pinot Noirs of the world don't come from a blend of this vineyard, that vineyard. They come from just one really special site or even just little pieces of that really special vineyard. And so, um, so when I started working with my dad in 2008, um, and I got, started to get to know Wayfair much better. Not, it's not, it wasn't just the place that we would go sometimes. It took two and a half hours to drive to, you know, um, it, it was, uh, I started to get to know the wines and the wine business. And so, um, I got to create this label, um, mm-hmm. with the, you know, with the rest of the, with the, our team at the time, of course, um, in, with the, in 2012. So, okay. and so that in 2012, we harvested our first fruit that would be the, the Wayfair, um, estate label.
0: And so um like what's the mm, like you said, every uh all true enophiles gravitate towards the wines of Burgundy. Um what was it like kind of making this its own? Because like, it was under Paul Meyer, which is known, mm-hmm. iconic brand. Mm-hmm. Um and you helped design this, but like ha- was it? Did you go say, "Hey, Dad"? Did you say, "Hey, Jason"? <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, this. These, you know, uh, if you look at Burgundy, it is. It's all about villages, and it comes down to even blocks, like you said. Like you know, um, how did you guys come to the, the realization that this should be a standalone brand?
1: Yeah. Well, I think. I mean, well, because the vineyard was, was really, at that point, the vineyard was, um, 10 years old. Okay. And so it was really, um, kind of an ideal way to start, you know, a a label or a wine brand that's just from just one single property. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so the, so the vineyard really drove that. And then as far as, you know, like Paul Meyer and, and, and differentiating it from Paul Meyer, Um, that was really also the key is that it was really had to do with, um, just this one truly special place. And, um, and that's what we wanted to showcase with those wines. Um, I think with, and and I think that that's a unique thing to Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. Because with, you know, with Palmyre, over the years we had been, you know, changing our food sources from time to time, but we Mm -hmm. we were still making Palmyre wines year after year. Um, but Wayfair wines can only come from one place. Mm.
0: Mm-hmm. And so um who's 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 who who's making the wine for you guys now?
1: So um Todd Cohn is our winemaker. Um he and I have been working together for almost 10 years, uh, which is something I'm really proud of to have that um that type of longevity and consistency. Um another one of my colleagues also we've been working together for almost 10 years. Both of them, um, worked with me at Paul Meyer. Okay. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, so Todd, um, is from, um, Northern California from Reading area. And, um, he decided not to go into his family business. His family business is dad Um, uh, basically it, it's like, um, so like supply chain for like frozen goods <laughs> um so unlike his brother and sister he decided he, he he wanted to um to make wine and so he went to UC Davis um he uh did he worked at Schramsberg um and then um Opus 1 um and at Opus 1 that's when he really got into um the viticulture side of it because uh, Michael Salachi always what, what one of his philosophies was that if you work in the winery, you have to work in the vineyard. If you work mm-hmm. in the vineyard, you have to work in the winery, mm-hmm. and so um, and so. When we were uh, looking for someone to hire for Wayfair, uh, at that point we were hiring for an assistant winemaker. Our first winemaker for Wayfair uh, was Bibiana Gonzalez Rave. She's a Colombian <laughs> um, and made the wines for several years before mm-hmm. Todd took over. Um, uh, but anyways, it, well, so what really what really attracted us to him was his that he had that skill set and that desire to work both in the vineyard and the winery Mm -hmm. Um, so um and so he's just he's incredibly talented focused uh young man yes younger than me (laughs) (laughs) and um and uh yeah and so he spends um you know a good chunk of his time in, in the vineyard. Well, and driving 90 minutes each way because mm-hmm. he he lives closer than I do. He lives in Santa Rosa, but um and then, yeah, so he's been so he's been making the he's took over as winemaker um in 2017.
0: Okay. So 2017 was also the year you became what did you become? What did I say? President.
1: I started running Paul Meyer. Yeah. yeah.
0: All right. So uh, did, did you Succeed your dad? Was he running it at that point? Well,
1: or? well actually, we had, um, a president, uh, okay. that my dad had hired. He, my dad really wanted to retire. Yep. Um, and so when, when I realized that this had be- become, you know, his plan or this was his, that, that's actually what drove a big, uh, that's, that's really what drove me to start working with him. Mm-hmm. Because I just, I, I knew that if you had, um, you know, family business, um, with, you know, a single person at the helm all, all these years. And then that goes away. The, what the, the business and, and the, and what you're making, which is, which is the most important thing is the product in the wine business. It, it'll, it loses its reason for being. It loses its soul. You lose that, mm-hmm. that, um, what makes it great. Mm-hmm. And so, and so I wanted to be able to carry that on. Um, and so, um so but between my dad and me um we had a um, a president that was running the business for I think 5 or 7 years.
0: Okay. Okay. Um and
1: you have two siblings? Uh two brothers. Um one is just a year younger than me. Um and he's actually been living here for f- more than 10 years, I think. And then my other brother is in college. <laughs> uh,
0: okay. okay. Um Neither of them have any interest in coming into the business with you at some point. Or?
1: Perhaps my younger brother okay. someday, but, um, but that remains to be seen. <laughs> he has worked a harvest <laughs> and he did a great job.
0: <laughs> um, and how is your, uh, your husband involved in all this?
1: Yeah. So he, um, so he's, a lawyer. I mentioned, um, yep. we met when he was in law school. Um, and he actually, he does, a um, estate planning um in in napa valley so you know he ends up working with a lot of wineries and things like that but he really caught the wine bug when he met me Mm -hmm. um and uh and then just kind of similar to my dad just became a a self-taught like student of wine um and so in addition to his um, law practice he actually also started a wine brand um with d wade Um, And so he was my husband and and, and my dad, so a partnership between – Oh, so Duane. he's part
0: of three by Wade. Yeah, that's why it's three by Wade.
1: Yeah, yeah. Three? So yeah, <laughs> all y'all
0: just like me thought it was because Dwayne Wade was he shoots the three. Well,
1: no, well it is. It is. I mean, it's a double. He, it's a number. double
0: entendre. To, it's, Actually, a that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: my husband's kind of the silent one behind yeah. the scenes that really put it all together. And you know, for ah. several years, he was the one. If you emailed the and rate, he was answering your emails. Okay. He was you know doing the the bookkeeping. He was like. Like you know, blending the wines with the winemaker, like he's really stupid. So, very proud of him what he's accomplished in that. But um, you know, but as far as h- his contribution with Wayfair, I mean, he's um, I mean, he's just an incredibly supportive and um, husband and talented individual. And so, um, I rely on him a lot. So
0: that's why you married him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, this is not even my notes. I didn't even. I, I literally, like I said, these are so casual. But now. Um, so your husband put that together. So how did your husband, obviously it's easy, father in law, fucking Jason Palmer. Yeah. <laughs> but like, did, did, how did he meet D Wade? How did, how did that come together? Like, was he, did he hear D Wade was list, was looking? Like,
1: it was, it, it was this, right, Somehow he got invited. I'm, I, I'm not going to try to tell the story because I'm going to screw it up. Somehow he got invited to go to dinner in LA with Dwayne okay. and Dwayne's manager, you know, business yep. people behind mm-hmm, him and, mm-hmm. and something that unique about Dwayne is just how he's or like how, how he conducts himself in business and how he's able to have this incredible career mm-hmm. after um, the MBA and that's 100% because of Dwayne and his work ethic and you know, he gets he gets involved in projects that he's truly, Passion about. truly passionate mm-hmm, about. And mm-hmm. So um yeah, so Dwayne was uh, interested in getting into wine. And, you know, I guess my husband had the right invitation at the right time. And um, and, uh, that, and that's, kind of, that's how it started. Okay. Yeah. So it's they interesting. They met each other and they, yeah. they, they, they hit it off. They hit it
0: off. So because, um, you know, I don't want to see every celebrity, but a lot of celebrities are like, oh, I'm going to have a wine. And it literally is just finding some bulk wine. Getting a yeah, label. like, okay,
1: how many appearances do I have to make? Yeah, you know, yeah. like, how many photo shoots do I have to do? And then that's it. Right. Yeah. But no, Dwayne's, um, re- he's, he's really involved in his, his team's involved. And it's, um, uh, yeah. And so it's been, uh, it's, I mean, they're, they're, they're having a, a lot of success. I'm really, yeah. really proud of them. Yeah. And
0: I was like, when I heard he was, you know, he was rocking with Jason Paul, I was like, oh, he's serious. Like, he's, <laughs> you know, he's serious about making a wine. Yeah. Um, and then like, the white's like a chen and blanc blend which i find very i love Shannon blanc but i think that's very interesting do you, why did that what was that decision Which just there was a Shannon blanc laying around we didn't want they wanted to do something different they
1: I wanted know. to do something different yeah yeah you're gonna have to have them on the i know well, on no. the pot no no i'm happy to i just don't want to yeah know, no I, i'll get the story up, but no you they, but, I do, they definitely want to do something different yeah. and the the Shannon is um is uh you know it's a that's they found some fruit that was really good and they decided to, to do that. No,
0: the team at D Wade's pretty cool. They've been following the black wine guy. Yeah. I messaged him I, I about having Dwayne on and I told him I'd rather do it live than remote. Yeah, um, yeah. So we're we're gonna make that happen. But I love that this is what happens on this podcast I was saying like, like yeah I like everybody kinda knows each other once you get to a certain yeah. level of like you know like you know, wine is the NBA. Like once you're in the NBA, you're gonna know you're gonna you know like, yeah. you're gonna kinda know everybody. Well the person
1: that knows everybody is my husband. <laughs> yeah, clearly, man.
0: Yeah. Um Yes. But um like, that's
1: just his personality. He's just he's out there.
0: That's supersonic.
1: Getting to know people.
0: Um but like you said, um because it's even in your bio, like um it, it alludes that's why I asked, it alludes to like his passion for wine. Mm-hmm. Um, But that, you know, I, I also just do you feel like you married your dad on one level, like as a lawyer? <laughs> like you, you gotta say yourself, you know, like, how did I, that happen? It wasn't
1: until <clears throat> like like a couple years ago that I, I was talking to, I'd forget how it came up, but I was like, holy shit, <laughs> I did marry my dad. They are so freaking similar. <laughs> and they get along amazingly well. It was actually really funny when my husband was in law school, like right after we had started dating, he um he needed a summer in summer internship mm-hmm. and spent the summer living with my dad and my stepmother and my little brother, because my little brother was still at home then. Um and um and then working at a law firm uh, interning at a law firm in Napa, but living with my dad all summer. And it's like <laughs> here he is the boyfriend just like <laughs> Moves in right, with the you he's know got to prove the you're girlfriend's like, uh, how, how do I
0: dump this guy now? Right?
1: Oh yeah, he and my dad, <laughs> but they have the same energy. Like yep. they're both up in the morning, having espresso together. <laughs> you know, just like yeah, they have they 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 vibrate on the same frequency. <laughs> That's so
0: cool. That's so cool. So as as president of uh, Paul Meyer, um, by the way, Paul Meyer Merlot is fucking delicious. Thank you. <laughs> uh, last guest. You met we we, we just she's, I'm she's making Marlowe, but we were just saying how Marlowe is so maligned and like, but when it's done right, oh my god. So I just always remember like I'm sure I remember the the it was like a teal blue label.
1: Was Yo, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the old label, The old A V A X, yeah. I'm I'm,
0: I'm so holding good. You. Yeah, so good. So good. Yeah. And then um so Still you, good. Yeah. I haven't had it in a minute. Um I need to get some. So you have you have Paul Meyer, and then you have the second label there is Jason, right?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Um, so you're running Paul Meyer, Jason, and it's just the two labels there.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then, and then we started Wayfair. And
0: then you started Wayfair. Mm-hmm. And so you you have two, 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 uh, labels over there now. Um, out of all that, cause you come from a Bordeaux varietal kind of background. Um, not you, but you know what I mean? The, the winery. Um, why are you so passionate about Wayfair?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, well, I think I mean it's definitely being able to create it um, from the ground up is um, w- was really was really incredible, um, and being able to have this site that just has this just soul, this just feeling to it, and um, and to be able to make wines from that and share them with people. I mean that's that's been um really really amazing. So, I mean I'm incredibly lucky to be able to like have that jumping off point um for making this, but then I'm also, you know, continuing what my dad started. Um and so and so there's kind of like that that legacy piece there, which is really meaningful to me as well.
0: How do you feel that we probably talk about that art history and that 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 background and, and curation, how do you think that plays into what you do uh with the the wines you're making?
1: Um I mean I think that I think that it's it's similar in that we're really trying to do everything at the highest level, like mm-hmm. every single detail. You know, and when you when you have, you know, You look at a piece of art in a museum, it's, it's in the museum because it's an, you know, it's an incredible work of art. And, um, and so to be able to, to bring that, that level and that focus, you know, every year when we're creating a new, a new vintage, a new wine, um, you know, and from, from what we do in the vineyard and with the wines then to also how we go to market and how do we present ourselves, um, is, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a, an, an, in, my inclination is to be a perfectionist, you know, okay. and so, and so to, it's, so it's like the perfect, you know, thing for me to do is to try to, try to achieve that perfection every year. Um, you know, every year is going to be different. There's, and there's also, um, also, you know, we're never finished either, mm. you know, like vintage after vintage. I'm always asking, like, how can we, make this better? How can we, you know, what can we do differently? Um, and, and then because, because the, you know, the world is not a static place. Tastes are not a static place. You know, the different technologies are, you know, ways of doing things that are not static. And so to continue improving um, is also really important.
0: And so as the president, um, how involved are you like, do you go out and taste the blends I mean like i mean do you do you, do you, i mean is there a committee I think a lot of places there's a committee and and mm-hmm. are you involved at that level mm-hmm. as well?
1: oh yeah, I mean, so I don't make the wine, but I do you know everything else is or touch everything else as yep. far as the business goes and so um but but you know especially with paul Meyer um you know being so such a so much bigger than Wayfair, you know. Every every year, sitting around, sitting with the winemaker and putting together the blends, it was, you know, it, it's it was always a um, a major because uh, you, you you have to weigh the financial implications of what you're mm-hmm. deciding, but then also with protecting the brand and what should be in the bottle. Um, but with Wayfair, we try to keep it just really small and focus. I think if you have too many people in the room you end up too many voices end up losing what, it, it, too shows, what it should well,
0: be yeah
1: <laughs> and so you know so but with wayfair we have a really tight team um just well usually my husband's there too and me and then our national sales manager um and and todd who i'm working with both of them for mm-hmm. 10 years and so um and really respect everyone's palate um and so you know, it, it's funny though, cause Todd will put together at least two different options for, for each wine, for each wine that we make. Um, and inevitably we'll be split. Like, so there's four of us, we'll be split, you know, half of us prefer one over the other and vice versa. And, um, but Todd, and, and so I'm going like, ah, oh, cause you know, like you can drive yourself nuts with, with these decisions cause you, you know, you, you, I mean, you know, you put wine in the glass, you smel- smell mm-hmm. it, you taste it, come back to it an hour later. Completely, it's completely changed on you, you know? And so, you know, that's where.
0: Yeah, you're like, the, either like, hello, or like, where the fuck did you go? Exactly.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, uh, but Todd actually absolutely loves it when, when we're, when we're split because, you know, he, you have it because the fact, not the fact that, One's going to win out of the other, but the, what we're saying about the wines helps. Cause he him put get them to together, right? Yeah, because yeah.
0: he's like, oh, okay. Yeah. You like that? They yeah. like that. Like, okay, they're both, you know, both yeah. are good at this point. So, you know, it? ultimately,
1: yeah. like, I, I do not believe in lead or leading by micromanaging. I mean, and, and I also value very highly that, um, that I have, or that I've gotten to a level with the people I work with that there is such a, Great degree of trust. And so, um, and so essentially the way it goes is we taste it. We love, you know, we generally love both the wines, um, you know, both the different options. We talk about it and then Todd basically then just goes back and then does his thing with, with all of our feedback. But, um, you know, sometimes I, I'll much more strongly be like, no, 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 we need to go in this direction. Um, uh, but, um, but usually, you know, I, I leave it to, to todd yeah <laughs> <laughs> but that's always you know a really important a really important um uh you know decision what are you to about in the bottle every year so yeah
0: yeah uh, absolutely absolutely um where do you where do you see this like you said it's a very focused brand it's very mm-hmm place driven like kind of like what's the production on these i know you have the second label helps you a little bit because it's mm-hmm. instead of declassifying it per se you 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 use it but
1: yeah i mean so we make less than 5000 cases okay we have um so we're just 30 acres yeah and so what i see for or my vision for wayfair is is not to not to grow mm-hmm. to to stay really focused in what we're doing. So everything coming from our one site. Um, but we want to be recognized as a Grand Cru of California. Um, and, you know, we were, we've gotten some wonderful accolades. That's really wonderful. Um, uh, one writer even, you know, said that we were a Grand Cru of California, but, you know, I, I think that we have a lot of work to do because I think that, um, you know, we we can continue, um, to work on our craft, but then also continue to work on, um, on how we farm the land. Are we doing what's best, you know, for the, for the land? Are, how are we, um, you know, constantly, you know, improving and how we're doing things, um, to, to be sustainable and, um, and, you know, conscious of the earth. Um, and then, and then as far as the, the, the brand in recognition of the brand, just to continue to, um, Build the reputation and build the, you know the, the, the the quality of the wine so that we can achieve that that status with our peers and our customers and that, that's ultimately so so just so to to focus on this this one um this one really special place and make nice. incredible wines.
0: You know when we were warming up, I asked you some questions about like what's your favorite meal, such and so on. Um, what are some of the wines that? You drink, maybe from regions, you don't have to say people are like, um, cause you, you could, like, you know, you could get high on your own supply and you should be doing really well here with all the stuff make. But like, like, do, where, what regions do you like, uh, when you're enjoying wine with your husband? Do you guys yeah. like Tuscany? I mean, where, where, where you know, just what do you guys like?
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, we love, um, so I mean, we, we love drinking California Pinot Noirs. Um, but, so do I. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but, of course, and, and Chardonnay, though, I have to say, um, Chardonnay is definitely one of my favorite <laughs> wine I mean, bridals when in the world. When it, yeah. the,
0: way, the way it's made, when it's made right, that's why it's so good.
1: I know. I always say it's a really expensive habit, though, because like I'll never, ever order like a by-the-glass Chardonnay offering because bad Chardonnay – or, sorry, inexpensive Chardonnay – or bad Chardonnay is. I was gonna say, inexpensive Chardonnay
0: is Chardon- usually bad Chardonnay. It's usually bad Chardonnay, guy, exactly. But, but and let's so, because, well,
1: you know, a lot of times people bulk at paying, you know, $90 a bottle for, you know, a retail price for a white wine or for Chardonnay. And I'm just, and I'm like, you know, it's an expensive habit and the, and the people. wines have so much to offer. Yep. You know, you're, you're not, anyways, um, so love, I mean, so I, uh, I love drinking. We also really love Oregon wines. You know, okay. like we, I mentioned yeah. we have the connection. We, we, we met in Oregon. Yep. Um, and so we love going up to there to, to the, the beach where we met and then also exploring, uh, Willamette Valley. Um, some really exciting producers there, especially with Chardonnay.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the whites coming out of the white wine and the sparkling wines mm-hmm. coming out of Oregon. Are going to be better than the Pinots you heard it here first. Mm-hmm. I could be mm-hmm. wrong, but I really have yeah. been so impressed well, by I the think, Chardonnays.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. But I mean, I think I think both Chardonnays and the Pinot Noirs are going to continue to get better, though. Because I mean, think about how young of a wine growing region. Oh, uh, I remember Oregon. I, I'm fifty
0: four. I remember like in '97 when I got the wine, but it was like Oregon up wines from Oregon sucked in '97, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, but it's, now the vines
0: are older. And you're just getting these fruit, you know, like I had my last 13% alcohol, but the ripeness, the richness of the fruit, mm-hmm. um, cause of the, she was explaining cause the limit, the days are longer, but, mm-hmm. but like the maturity now, now I get it. Yeah. But the white wines have come full circle there.
1: Yeah. I mean, viticulture takes time. Like it takes time to know mm. like what the right rootstocks are, what the best clonal selections are, what to plant where, you know, burgundy's thousands and thousands I know. of years. Um, in Italy and in Bordeaux mm. and, um, and, you know, in, in California, we, we have more time under our belts and things like that, but, you know, just in time for, you know, climate to be th- throwing another exactly. <laughs> <little> curveball, <laughs> curveball at us. But, um, but yeah, I mean, my, uh, we also love drinking, um, burgundy. Definitely white burgundy. Yeah. <laughs> um, white
0: burgundy is sick. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Every time I like, – like every time I'm, I'm like, ah. Oh, you just – like once you have you're like, ah, oh, you get what the fuss is about.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like
0: you don't want to admit yeah. it, but like you, you're like – you really get what yeah. the fuss is about. We're yeah. white burgundy. Like, yeah. oh.
1: Um, And then we also love drinking um, Italian wines too, like Barolo and Aviolo and um, Super Tuscans. And so, yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. Well, cool. We're going to play a fun little game. Okay. It's called FMK. Fuck, marry, kill.
1: Okay. <laughs> Three grapes.
0: You get to fuck one, you get to marry one, and you have to get rid of one. You have to kill one. Okay. All right. So here we go. I'm going to make this easier for you, or maybe not. Um, Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, and Merlot.
1: Ooh, you just made it hard. Yeah,
0: that's why I didn't, I didn't, I I didn't even go cab. You yeah, no. cal-
1: <laughs> oh, you just, you just got me. Okay. Well, I am an unabashed lover of Chardonnay. Um, I don't care what, you know, the ABC people, you know, yeah. say. It's so fuck Chardonnay.
0: Yeah,
1: 100%. Um, gosh. Well, I mean, this is a super hard one. Um, But I'm, you know, I, I'm going to have to marry Pinot Noir and s- sadly kill Merlot. Um,
0: Way to stay on brand. <laughs> yeah. Because we're already yeah. talking about Wayfair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I need to see that. Paul Miles looks like, oh.
1: I know. I know.
0: All right. That was fun. Um, all right. So last question for you, Cleo. What are you most excited for in the future?
1: Oh, gosh. um, You know, I'm. So we, uh, I'm really excited just to continue focusing in on Wayfair. Um, at the end of 2019, we sold, um, Paul Meyer. And so, uh, but, but got kept Wayfair. And so in 2020 established it as its own standalone brand, That's working awesome. with a, you know, small team of people that I absolutely love. And, um, and so I'm just really excited to continue focusing in on just these, um, you know, 30 incredible acres, um, making these beautiful wines, sharing them with people, um, and just continuing to improve everything that we're doing. Um, you know, with all the shit that's happening in our world, thank God for wine. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, you know, to, to be able to, to do something that just brings so much joy, um, is, is a blessing.
0: Well, there it is, everybody. Cleo, thank you so much for coming on. I'm glad we were able to do this. Uh, Tell people where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing.
1: Um, So its uh, website is WayfairVineyard.com. You can join our mailing list, order our wines, um, and um, reach out to us. We'd love to host you if you're ever in the Napa or Sonoma area.
0: Awesome. And for all you listeners out there, don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. That's where you'll find... Info on the wines we drank, uh, links to cool stuff. I'll put the website in there. I'll put some social handles uh, and so much more. Uh, until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the deep thinkers, and all you wine drinkers. Peace.